You are listening to Playback, a Variety podcast. I'm your host, Variety Awards editor Chris Tapley. It's working, as they say. All right. Are you from LA? No, I'm from North Carolina. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You shot out there before? G.I. Jane. That's right, yeah. With, uh, I, uh, what's the mint town that's fantastic? Charleston. Uh, we have Charlotte. We have uh, Charleston's in South Carolina oh, on the coast I love there. Char- I yeah. Charleston. That yeah. was fantastic. That's Great a naval base there. Yeah. Beautiful. With the black cannons and. I grew up north of Charlotte, went to film school out in Winston-Salem. Hmm. It's a nice film school. Hmm. That was a long time ago, though. I don't know what it's like now. But it was very cool at the time. Yeah. Are you ready? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Let's check a level from you real fast, if I could. What is that? How, how about that? Is that good? Looks that fine. Right? Yeah, it looks One, fine. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten, eleven, twelve. <laughs> <laughs> We're good. Yeah. Just going to dive in. Uh, I've got my questions here on my phone. I swear I'm not just text, texting in the middle right. of our interview. <laughs> but uh, we've got Ridley Scott here today, director of All the Money in the World. Uh, in my opinion, the man with the biggest balls in town right now. <laughs> just so uh, to briefly recap, in case anyone out there has been living under a rock, uh, you know, your original actor, Kevin Spacey, became a bit of a liability for the project. You made the decision quickly to recast with Christopher Plummer mm-hmm. and uh, reshoot those scenes. Mm-hmm. And basically, Halloween, you guys were done. Thanksgiving, you were working again. Sure. By Christmas, you've got Golden Globe nominations. Yeah, it's, pretty good. That's got to be a record for, for Plummer to have. A- I think it is. He's stunned. I met him a month ago, and here we are at the Golden Globe. It's a month since had, I met him. Had you not met at all? No. no wow. I met him in New York one evening and said, you want to do it? About a month ago, he said, Yeah. And I was off and running, and I said, I'll see you in Italy and see you in London. And that was it. And we were literally slotting it, slotting it into the cut as I was, as I was, as I was doing it. Yeah. Because, you know, on set, now I, I have a box which I can, as I'm digitally, you know, recording, I can also project, you know, send to an edit room. Mm-hmm. So it was going in. So that evening, what I shot in the day, it was already in the cut. Yeah. So I go and check it out. Was it as simple as let's just reshoot the coverage, everything that we shot previously, so we can easily do this? Or were there opportunities to explore some things? Oh, that there you are always to? opportunities to adjust certain things. But yeah. fundamentally, the geometry, I'm pretty good at geometry. Uh, I mean, the choreography of a scene, I've always got that down somehow. Actors seem to accept what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And so I've usually, by, by the time I've been through it, reading it and reading it and thinking about who, what and when, I've, the geometry starts to come into my head. Mm-hmm. And once I got that down, that, that movement down, the movements are very important because otherwise you can have talking heads stuck in a room. Mm-hmm. And I never have talking heads stuck in a room. Everything's always moving because that's me. That's yeah. what I like to do because films can get ruined with just sitting there talking heads with nothing happening. Mm-hmm. It can become so inert, and that's 
I'm the biggest fan of the best best dialogue if, uh, by by all means because if, if you haven't got good dialogue you're dead but you it, to just sit with two people in a chair talking will get tedious yeah, yeah. this can pick up some of that by the way yeah. if, uh, uh, you know something I've been wondering actually this whole time was if the Getty family ever chimed in did they have anything to say about you know no, on the reverse I want to make sure that Gail Getty was happy mm-hmm. so I connected with Gail Getty who I was trying to see in Rome, and then I, we never met, managed to meet. She was not never there. Then, but when I cut it before I bedded it down, I, I showed it to her, mm-hmm. and the relief was she thought she was surprised how good the film was. She said, "Oh my God, the film's really quite good." She said, "I I'm so pleased that you handled this this way, with you know a degree of respect, mm-hmm. and I don't make the old man into Scrooge." Right, and the old man coming out of what he said was famous for saying, "I wouldn't give a penny, not many things are worth seventeen million dollars, etc." What he was doing is he was neg- publicly negotiating with the kidnappers, right? So people take everything at face value, don't they? Right. Said so, no, he's not doing that. He's actually, it's like we will not negotiate with terrorism mm-hmm. today. You can't. So you, a, a, a kidnapper is a terrorist. You will not negotiate with a terrorist. And therefore, you'll say, no, I'm not going to pay that. Mm-hmm. I'll give you $200,000 and I'll let you off the hook so that anything under $200,000 in Italy is not classified as a crime. Right. That's what Mark Wahlberg says. And uh, so it gives them an out and they grab the money, take the money and run. Yeah. Right? There's always that check possibility. But also there's a possibility where they'll go further and they'll remove his fucking feet and his right. eyes next. Right. And that's the Calabrians were that. They would take an ear and put it in a package and send it. Did she see the cut previous to the reshoots? Or like no, oh no, she saw Kevin. That's what I mean. Yeah, so she saw. Oh, Kevin. She saw Kevin. So, yeah. so once everything happened with Kevin, did she have strong feelings about? Never heard from her. Really? Okay. We we informed her. We kept her completely informed. Sorry, all the time that we were going to replace Kevin and go again. Mm-hmm. And did she know a person called Christopher? Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course she did. Yeah. She knew. She went, oh, of course. Sound of music. <laughs> right. It's everyone's go-to. Yeah, I didn't know if maybe they would have strong feelings about just uh, Kevin now playing this person in their family after everything that had happened with Kevin. So, you know. Unfortunately. But okay. No, there's no reaction. You've talked a lot about how, uh, or a little bit, about how Plummer's performance was warmer in, in, compared to Spacey's. And Spacey is kind of cool and yeah. business-like and abrupt and... And when you occasionally get warmth, it's a reward. Right. For instance, the scene he did with the boy in the um, Hadrian's villa, mm-hmm. he he lightened up there with it because he adored the child, and the child, of course, adored Grandpa, and so he was ad living a little bit there. Mm-hmm. But other than that, um, he was always fairly forthright. Yeah. Uh, but he showed great passion. The, one of the most interesting scenes, I think, is the scene where they're cleaning the gun. Mm-hmm. And he talks about things. Mm-hmm. And he talks about disappointment of his family and how he's let down by the family. And he talks about the abyss of wealth. Mm-hmm. I like that scene. I yeah, like yeah. And uh, so, yeah. Well, it's an interesting case study because now you've had two versions of the film with two different performances of this character and the character was in it far more than I actually 
anticipated once yeah. the film was over. Oh, he, when yeah, I saw it yesterday, I, I, I was cake. I was in awe by you anew because yeah. I didn't know he was so yeah. thread throughout. So uh, what I'm curious about is, does, did that change the tenor or the tone or the the vibe of the overall film having this different performance there? Uh, yeah, people said did. I the adjusted uh, warmth, the glow of Getty. Thank you. A bit of milk would be great. The glow of Getty and Christopher's elegance and Christopher's warmth uh, was um, affected how mm-hmm. people felt. They felt more endeared towards John Paul Getty. They felt that John Paul Getty had a, an edge of sympathy on him where with, with Kevin there was not that much sympathy for him. Mm-hmm. Except we tried... And I think we got something with him. The scene where he was with Mark Wahlberg and Wahlberg resigns. Mm-hmm. Says, you know, you've got more money in the world, you're the loneliest motherfucker on earth. Mm-hmm. And in that great, the great hall, where the Getty showed him the, the model that he's building in Malibu. Mm-hmm. And Getty says, they were my children, she took them. Mm-hmm. And Wahlberg says, I'm out, finished, and walks off. Getty feels isolated there, because... I think that much wealth is a factor which isolates people. Yeah. People are become an island into themselves when there's that much money because there's no one to talk to except employees. There's something very Charles Foster Kane about it. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. So when you're stuck in that room all by himself, there's a moment where I felt really sorry for Kevin. Yeah. Uh, because he then reflected on that for a moment at the fireplace, having lost the connection. His family. Is it is it really a connection or is it ego? I think it's a connection. I think yeah. in there somewhere is a connection. I think I think you know some people are afraid to show warmth or afraid to show affection or afraid to show emotion. I think Getty was partly somebody who was afraid to show mm-hmm. affection. I'm, I'm I'm very a um, sentimental, mm-hmm. and um, and I think the American thing is particularly sentimental. Yeah. So being British, I'm the opposite. Because <laughs> uh, I'm from the north of England, so mm. my mother was like that as well. There's no no mercy, right? Yeah. Uh, what was just the hardest part about this uh, undertaking, coming back and reshooting? And uh, are you happy with the result? I mean, is there anything about continuity that bugs you at Nothing. all, or anything? Nothing. No, I'm very. I mean, you know, I've got no regrets about any of my films at all, and um, <clears throat> sometimes the films. That haven't played have been my favorite. Like one of my favorite films, a film called The Counselor, mm-hmm. and a lot of people don't get it. But I think it's over their heads. I think the dialogue is superlative, mm-hmm. and that what happens to the character, which is you fundamentally get what you, you was it who's it um, the Roman Emperor said, what goes uh, what what goes down in life it goes down into in eternity. What's the Marks of Realist. Oh yeah. And there's a great saying by here's what you do in life, it goes, into, it goes down in eternity. And I think you pay for what you... You pay for your mistakes one way or another, right? That's but, right out of Gladiator. I'm what we sure. do in life echoes in eternity. That's it. That's what Marx really says. Yeah, yeah. That's it. So, you know, in a funny kind of way, it's a little bit of the subtext to, to Kane. Yeah. Certainly. And well, Randolph Hearst and to John Paul Kenny. Yeah, mm-hmm. indeed. Uh, I love the fact, as I said, there was just no hesitancy here. You dived right in and said, we need to do this. And something you said yesterday 
uh, it really resonates for me, which is this notion of you don't delay, you just uh, charge just forward. It. Just do it. The uh, best phrase ever invented, just do it. Uh, down in the south, we say shit or get off the pot. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, that's what I say. Uh, Stop talking. Stop pondering. Is 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 that kind of like it's kind of like that shark mentality? Like you keep moving or you die. Um, it, yeah. it, it, is that something that's developed over your career, or is that something that you well, had instilled? Hampton said to me, "You said one morning on the writing Blade Runner, said you know, art's like the shark. You, you got to keep moving, otherwise you drown." Mm-hmm. And he's right. You have to keep evolving. It's like sport. I mean, my sport was tennis. If you don't practice, you're going to become no good. You're mm-hmm. going to keep moving. You keep moving. Look at Roger Federer. Fucking hell, he's 42 now. Could easily get Wimbledon this year. Yeah. I thought he was going to get it last year. Mm-hmm. And so that's evil. It's nothing to do with... Age does come into it because it's physicality. But a guy that practice of 40 years old is as fit as a guy of 20. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, yeah. Well, regarding age, I mean, that's something I've always found interesting about you is you started your career later as a filmmaker. 40. Later than most. And, uh, I've never made a film at 40. What did, uh, you know, you, you certainly, I, I assume, had a, a strong idea of yourself at that point. Oh, yeah. But what, what coming into the career, given that you were starting that late, did well, helped you? I was very successful in television. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so television, first of all, designer, but I was a good designer. At BBC and BBC, because I was a good designer, were going to groom me for senior seniority, mm-hmm. and so they gave me a producer's course at BBC, which would last six weeks, to let me see the you know the problems of production from the director and producer angle. Once I did that, I didn't want to go back, and so I did a course uh, where in in the course you're allowed to do an hour of your choice. A play or something, you get airtime conditions in a studio with six cameras and the full thing. So they'll record it and see how you do. And what I did was so ambitious that I pulled it off. Out of it, I got a TV show. Mm. So they said, Do you want to be do this TV show? And really? Yeah. But in those <laughs> days, it was all live. No instruction. You just, that's a script you've done in three weeks. Wow. That was it. Really? And you're on with 13 million people. Oh. So, but you know, it was like, uh, scary as shit but I, I then did that for a while then realised that BBC was not getting paid very much money after all that after tax I was getting £75 a week <laughs> and that, my life was d- taken over and so I discovered that I was good at advertising so I went into advertising and the difference financially yeah. was a, a different universe <laughs> I bet every time they air those things yeah, 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 mailbox sure. money yeah um where do you get your I, – I get from you an, an intense confidence, um, certainly to do something like this, what you did on this film. But uh, there's just a, a, a very strong self-assurance. Where does that come from? Practice. Yeah? Yeah, practice. It's all about practice. The more you do it, the better you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Or the more you do it, the more bored you're going to get. In my instance, I evolved. Mm-hmm. So the more I did it, I just evolved like crazy. So – my first film at 40, but now I've done about 200 productions. I've done 30 movies, big ones, for myself personally. My mother, brother did 20, 20. That's 50 films, which, frankly, if we owned, would be a major library. Yeah. You're talking about Top Gun. Yeah. Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. Alien. Blade Runner. That's way back. Yeah. And uh, so we were a good team, brother and I. 
And uh, then out of that evolved very good television. So we're now about 60 TV shows on the air, six films this year. Yeah. So we're a real entity, and which I love. And so I keep my eye on that as much as I can. But I can only run it if I've got great people, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, Scott Free is incredibly prolific. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, you worked with Getty's great-grandson, Balthazar Getty. Bal, yeah, well, Bal, uh, White Squall. White Squall. I really loved the little movie. I, lo- I looked at it recently, not because I was doing Getty. Occasionally, I'll, you know, 10 years on, I'll look at something I did and go, hmm, oh, it's mm-hmm. quite good. I thought it was really good. I like that film. It's very honest and innocent, but yeah. that was the whole point. Yeah. It was about standards. Mm-hmm. And we forget about we've forgotten about standards. Mm-hmm. Kid now will go off to a rave and get ecstasy and die. Mm-hmm. You got to stop that bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you'll be an idiot to take ecstasy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Well, since since you had worked with both, sir, you, you touched on this last night at, when you were speaking to the crowd. But just what did, what vibe did you get about the family from knowing him? I guess not at all. Other than I felt very uh, protective. Because he was with a bunch of other guys about the same age. Mm-hmm. We're in the islands. Are you kidding? Mm-hmm. So I had to keep an eye on because I knew Bal had a bit of a problem. Mm-hmm. We kept an eye on him, kept eye on him, and uh, that was it. He was mm-hmm. good as gold. He's actually a pretty good actor. Mm-hmm. And then I thought I'd rather call mum, grandmum, not Bal. I want grandma to see the film before Bal. Mm-hmm. And she thought she was very happy. So I think she talked about. Now, Bal hasn't called me, but he can if he wants. I don't mind. Mm-hmm. But I will call him saying, go see the movie. You might like it. <laughs> you, m- you mentioned something, though, about just you felt like the, the, the family felt damaged. And the, specifically regarding this idea you were just talking about with wealth and what, what it does to a person. What, yeah, because, you know, but I know enough people who are very wealthy or, I mean, or super wealthy where the children are fine. Mm-hmm. They come out well, but then that speaks loudly for the parents. Mm-hmm. Because the guy's made, made billions, and the, the family is still, you know, conforming to dad's will and saying, listen, do this, do that, in a good way. And then gradually they're off, off on their own, and they're, they're in charge of themselves. That's cool. That's a good parent. But I think there's a lot of people are left on their own with all that money. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where it goes off the rails. Like, what is there about the Kennedys that make them so unfortunate? Yeah. Uh, is it a bad call, bad judgment, or just bad luck? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the way you, when you look at it, it looks like bad luck. Yeah. I mean, but inordinate bad luck. Well, regarding all of that, what thematically about the project, all the money in the world, uh, there's something resonant, I, I feel, about this idea of. Greed, I don't know if it's greed, but just what we're talking about here. And so what in terms of how the movie kind of connected with the zeitgeist at all, spoke yeah. to the today at all, what, what was on your mind? Well, you know, I think in, in a small way, if you're successful, there's nothing like enjoying success. If you're being successful and you're, and you're wanted and you're making money, then, of course, it's fucking great. You know, what, do you, what is not to like? But when it, it's going up to that level of that kind of wealth, then you suddenly have a, 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 a public responsibility as well. It moves mm-hmm. beyond just a few fast cars. You're suddenly into a larger, much more prolific empire where you have to think about people as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have you know, a few businesses, but I'm nothing like that. And my business are very specifically and only about making television and film. Mm-hmm. But even at that level, I'm probably employing, you know, in London, here about 
200 people. But I'd be very conscious of running and looking after the people. Mm-hmm. You have to. You have to. And anybody who has any value, you, you've got to respect that. Mm-hmm. And anybody, you, you can spot them the smallest fry. You think, blimey, I don't want to lose that. You've got to spot them and bring them on. The great thing about the film industry, if anybody's any good, it's going to be seen immediately. Mm-hmm. And therefore, they can move up immediately if they keep their feet in the ground. Mm-hmm. It's not like any other business. You if think- you're good at something and you do more than anybody else, it's just about... Yeah. yeah. Uh, visually with this film, I mean, in some sense, the settings, Rome and whatnot, uh, dictate an aesthetic. But I'm just curious what you wanted the movie to look like. What was your visual? Almost new, kind of almost newsy. There's a great photographer called William Klein mm-hmm. uh, who did Rome, Italy, uh, Rome, Tokyo and New York. He was a guy in the 70s and I wanted to look like William Klein. Mm. Uh, I'd like the film to have been black and white. I think that's why I start the film off in black and white. Mm-hmm. But then I... Because one of my favourite films is La Dolce Vita. Mm-hmm. And the Dolce Vita starts in the Via Veneto, where you had all the Euro trash and the paparazzi, the beginning of paparazzi, mm-hmm. and the prostitutes and the people, tourists. And I couldn't shoot there now because it's just too built, built up and too busy. Mm-hmm. So I took a square of and I recreated as much as I could the Via Veneto. Mm-hmm. So we pick up our subject walking on the street, and clearly he's comfortable in that environment. He's 17, but he ain't 17. He smokes like an adult. Mm-hmm. Somebody says, hey, Paolo, and he looks tech, so that you know, and he visits the hookers. Mm-hmm. So I think he had a taste for um, the, the, the women, 17, definitely. He had a girlfriend he was living with in Rome at the time, but adored his mum. Mm-hmm. So... I think if mum was tolerant, once you get a kid who's that advanced at 17, you can't sit on him, you've got to, got to try and live with it. Mm-hmm. And I think that was part of the problem. Yeah. yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Just to branch out a little bit, you also had Alien Covenant this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it about the world of that franchise that keeps bringing you back to it? Um, I think the fact that one way or another they let it die... And I think the idea of keeping a franchise alive, a bit like elongation of television, good TV, mm-hmm. it's fascinating. I do a lot of television now. I think going into, I mean, finishes just on a great TV show called Mindhunter. Mm-hmm. And that is comes out of, I think, transcription from interviews with, killer, with mm-hmm. serial killers. That's great TV. That's interesting stuff. And I think, you know, when you're doing a show where you get it something in two hours, my first alien was just, you know, S- seven people stuck in a tin can and I could I think of inventive ways of knocking them off <laughs> so it's it's a pure horror film but the engine was so clean it just works as a classic but I've got the best beast in the business ever maybe right there there's not been a monster like that Mm-mm. and then it got used up with three more shows Jim's was fine next to you know you can't you get a wear out factor and then it died when they did uh, Alien vs. Predator. Mm-hmm. I thought, damn. So I thought this is silly when I'm watching other franchises go on. And I'm not like Star Wars, Star Trek, God bless them. Yeah. All that stuff goes on, X-Men. I said, this is crazy. We could resurrect this. Mm-hmm. So I resurrected from ground zero with Prometheus. Yep. Where you suddenly see the invention and the coming about of how the first alien occurred. 
and then the next covenant would be the evolution of that. Yeah. And uh, I think we'll go again, evolving into another world. But while you, when you're doing that, you think, have I done with the alien? Should we not bring it back again? Because on the covenant, I didn't have the chest burst or the fish or any of that. And, and what came out of a ground zero shot was a very successful movie. So the studio said, in their wisdom, they want to see the more alien chest burst. And I said, are you sure? I think it's cooked. It's done. Because <laughs> I can do it even better now. But it'll never be as good as then because then it was totally original. It's also iconic at this point. Yeah, and you can't. I can do it better digitally. Yeah. But honestly, it ain't going to be better because it's so shocking then. Yeah. You'll never do that again. Yeah. And so it, what we did was good, but I think what was far more interesting was the evolution of Michael Fassbender as the AI. Right. That's, that's interesting. Right. What do you think will be the fate of all of that with the Disney Fox era? Um, I think. It may be a good move for Disney to evolve and have another demographic of slightly heavier weight. I don't mean I mean heavier weight in being, i.e., more adult, yeah. more dark, the dark side of the moon, which Disney, under their label, would be very uncomfortable doing because they live by very clever demographics mm-hmm. from children. You know, Pixar's genius mm-hmm. covers all, all, all quadrants. But and they're great at that. I think they, as far as they want, they want the world. Mm-hmm. And so now that Netflix is so far ahead of the fucking game, it's going to be very hard to catch them. Mm-hmm. Netflix have eight billion dollars to spend this year, yeah. all from subscription. Yeah. So I'm being filmed to Netflix. Wow. I uh, also wanted to talk about a movie of yours that I love, Black Hawk Down. Um, oh, yeah. It, it, the, the chaos of that, the orchestrated, organized chaos yeah. of that battle. And uh, you know, also, I'm, I loved Sam Shepard, as I think everyone did. Yeah. So I'd love to just hear some thoughts uh, in retrospect on that film and on Sam particularly. Okay. Sam um, wouldn't fly. Yeah. Scared to death. So he came by boat. <laughs> then he came by train. Then he came by river. So by the time it got to me, he was absolutely fucking exhausted. <laughs> and so I'm now already probably six weeks in with the, the whole mob. Uh-huh. And Sam's going to come in and sit, hit some of the office stuff as the commander-in-chief who's being brought in to deal with it. And so he comes and he says, i got jet lag, I can't remember a bloody line. <laughs> so he's got that whole lot sitting there looking at him. There's like 20-odd guys who've been there for weeks and are all part of the process. And Sam kept drying. It was really sweet. I said, Sam, dude, doesn't matter. And I he was panicked <laughs> by the fact he couldn't remember his words. And being a playwright, he was furious yeah, himself. Yeah. But he was the nicest man. And we got it, finally. Yeah. There's a great scene with him and the, the guy at the front, the African, who talks about, he says, that's not... That's not. Uh, that's not. That's a genocide. Yeah. The opening scene with Sam and that guy is fantastic. And just the moment where he cleans up the blood at the end is yeah, pretty impactful as yeah, well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you've got the Battle of Britain on deck, I believe. Is, is, are you still um, playing? Yeah, that's it? being written. It's written actually. It's written, and I'm. We're going through uh, another evolution. Pretty good actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, from scratch, I was quite impressed. Good writer, and I just wanted it to be a little less. You know, in the early days of the Dam Busters, you know, remember that? Mm-hmm. And uh, Richard Todd, remember him? Mm-hmm. 
great English star, stoic, John Mills and all that stuff, right? Yeah, you know all yeah. that stuff. Um, it was a bit, it was a bit John Mills, you know? Yeah. And I think, and, and I, I know, listen, I, I'm a war baby, so I know that my dad was a pretty important guy in the army. And so I know it wasn't quite like that. Right. And so I wanted to make it more real. Okay. And I, um, Dunkirk was kind of getting there. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you've seen Dunkirk and Dark, yeah, Darkest Hour. Yeah, it's good. Um, yeah, yeah I, I liked it. Yeah, yeah. Why do you think that that moment in history is having such a, uh, well, a moment, I guess, right now, and looking back at that period where it was well, stand I up against the Nazis or it else? It should never be forgotten. Yeah. Ever. Because what they did, what they did is beyond fiction. Mm -hmm. So dreadful. It was beyond fiction. You couldn't think of that in a horror film. If you thought about it in the horror film, you would not believe it. You'd think it's OTT. But what they did was just beyond anything description. You could, could do it justice. Um, and I was a war baby, so I, I passed Heligoland. We, we'd blown up the day before in a troop ship. I was in a troop ship in 1947. Mm. I was with the troops and my little gas mask and my label. In case I got lost, I had a label tied to me. I was going to meet my parents who were already in Hamburg. Wow. So I've been going down the Elbe in Hamburg with my elder brother. And I'd stayed in Germany for five years, 1947, 52. Wow. Which is a real education for me because we weren't allowed to mix with the Germans clearly because it was just too close to war. Mm -hmm. But the experience of it all was, was my fundamental education. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. And then last thing here, these last couple of years with the big awards push for The Martian and with Blade Runner this year and, and yeah. there, there's been kind of these opportunities you're at this spot to look back on your career you get these career achievement awards consistently lately mm -hmm. uh, uh, just as someone who keeps pushing forward what is that like to kind of look back at your career and portfolio if you will I don't think that yeah <laughs> I've got a knighthood as well but I don't really <laughs> I don't really think about it I mean I, I'm grateful but uh, the most important thing is what's next yeah I mean, I just look down the road and what's next. And, you know, the, the, the weird thing about making movies, it's like the camaraderie of meeting the guys and saying, well, okay, what have you been doing? Okay, right, let's go. And it's like, it's like it's weird. It's a bit like being in the army. Mm -hmm. And not, not that I was, I was a kind of army brat, but my dad said, you shouldn't go in the army. There's nothing for you in the army. Mm -hmm. You should go to art school, which is pretty rare for a man to say that. Mm -hmm. And because he was real army. And um, it's like, it's it's the club of making that movie. Mm -hmm. And the delivery, and everyone delivers to their passion, whether it's wardrobe, art department, construction, photography, casting, everyone's delivering. Yeah. I love that. That's kind of right out of Black Hawk Down, actually. I think Eric Banner says something like, it's yes. about the guy next to you. So, it totally. It's, yeah. it's about delivery. You say, hell no. He says, it's only... Monday, it's a whole new week, and he's going to go, and he goes out and finds the two bodies, identifies the place, hides them, they go and pick up the bodies. Mm -hmm. So they never left anybody behind. That yeah. happened. Yeah. I read that book before I yeah. saw the film. It, yeah. It's an amazing story. As is this one, All the Money in the World. Uh, it should be in release by the time this airs, so go check it out. He busted his ass twice on this movie. <laughs> so go check it out. Ridley Scott, thank you for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Thank you, man. Thank you. Cheers. You carry a gun, Mr. Chase. I never bothered. Ruins align your suit. You used to be a spy. Much 
child is a prisoner. Seventeen million dollars. Oh, they will take his eye, his ear, the hand, and don't tell me you don't have the money. My former father-in-law only buys the best. It's time for you to do whatever it is he pays you to do. Let's hope you're half as good as everything else he's bought. You need to pay the ransom, Mr. Getty. Have the money to spare. No one has ever been richer than you are at this moment. What would it take for you to feel secure? More. More. I'm gonna find your son. You're protected from every threat. Unless that threat happens to be me. Paul, I just want to go home. Paul. I didn't hire an ex-CIA officer just to pay people off. I hired you to do things that other people can't or won't do. We have to be willing to walk away. It's my son. I can't walk away. I don't think this is about money. It's about power. Power. Business. Terror. Tell him I'm coming.